uctoday.com. Hello and welcome to Out Loud with me, Patrick Watson. In this episode, I spoke to Carl Rowe. Carl is the Vice President of Services and Cloud Solutions for the Nuvius Distribution Group. I wanted to speak to Carl about his predictions for cloud services in 2018 and how new technology trends are transforming the way businesses work now. How do you think emerging technologies like AI are going to affect the existing collaboration market? Yeah, I think I think it's all about embedding the service, really. I think it, it, you know that you see market right now in terms of its reach in the cloud is, is ultimately around the SME space, right? The, the, the take-up, the, the, the volume that we see in SaaS is often kind of starts in the long tail of SME and then is often adopted very, very quickly into the large enterprises in certain areas. It's, I guess what I would say around AI and why I think it's so important is that I think AI will be is and is already quite frankly, but will will be built into more or less everyone's value proposition as a as a SaaS vendor or as a PaaS vendor or as a cloud services vendor, which I think it means that the UC community or the buyer of UC or the SMEs that are out there, I don't think they're going to have to worry about AI quite frankly. I think they're going to get it by default. I think it's in everybody's interest who's delivering something as a service, especially in UC. That you know, automation and artificial intelligence is is built into the proposition by default from the start. Let me give you a really simplistic example where where AI really helps. Often gets you know, I think missed because it is so simple, right? But you know, just things like supporting a, a UC base, a large base of of users, of classic handset users, as an example, that have moved to VoIP or or a cloud-based service. To automatically support them on a service desk that's that's being manned by AI, intelligent AI. AI has been built to handle, you know, the core questions: why is this not working? The how-to's, really simple things like that enhance the customer experience. I think at all levels, not just SME or even UC, but in all in all levels and in all kind of genres. And I think it's that. I think it's building AI into the service proposition at a service provider level or a vendor level is kind of where AI will, AI will, will land and where value will be created. But ultimately, the consumer of that, whether it be in UC or the SME in UC or an enterprise in even networking, I think they're going to get that by default in the embedded solution that will be driven through from the partner and the, and the vendor. Yeah, well, that, that was going to be one of my follow-up questions, and you've touched on that nicely there, is I was assuming that technology like AI and analysis of big data was going to be something that was exclusively, you know, at the moment anyway, available towards the enterprise side of, yeah. of the business market. But like you said, it's it's potentially going to filter down by default anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, let's just take another genre for a minute. It's the same same gig, different genre. Let's just take something as as simple as Office three six five, right? So to, to to run your own email system today, I would say you you probably you know very questionable, right? Especially yeah. SME, you probably really, really, really questioned that, right? So taking Office 365 or one of the other email cloud services automatically gets you into a world, let's just take that for a minute, it gets you into a world where you've got access to business intelligence tools you never had before that are kind of coming for free, right? So you're buying into a, a classic scenario of outsourcing your email and kind of by default in your package, whichever package you've bought, with, let's say you bought the right package at Microsoft the top end, you're going to start to get BI tools by default. I don't think the SMV or the SME or the, the smaller consumer particularly will take those tools and use them. I think it might be like 
a little like using word, how many people use the thesaurus. It's probably a bad example. You being a journalist, you probably use it all the time. Or oh, just, oh, I don't need to use it at all because I have my own fantastic <laughs> inbuilt thesaurus. No, but I know what you mean. In terms of they've got these features there, but they might not fully utilise them at the moment. Yeah, you got it. They don't use them. So those features are there, right? So I, th- I think, you know, the, the sooner that the channel that, that, that provides that, that classic email solution starts to provide Office 365 and actually realises that the real value to the end user will be not just to kind of resell the cloud service, but actually use the tooling that is inside that cloud service to generate a better value prop, a sticky, a sticky value prop that will then land on the land on the customer itself. I think I think we're very dependent on the channel to be creative. You know, I don't think we can rely on the customer to be creative. I think that's our job in the channel to do that. So I think, again, you'll start to see the use of BI and, and those things the more the channel adopts what's kind of in the package, right? So that, it's like Excel, right? The more, it, pivot tables are what everybody uses now, right? That's because people have understood how to use them. I think it's all about understanding. You know, for 10 years, they were sat there, weren't they, doing nothing, pivot tables in Excel, yeah. until people have kind of worked out what benefit they get from using them. I think it's the same script here with AI, right? It's... Um, and then that leads into BI. Same, same two things kind of locked together, don't they? So, so as I the time goes forward, you know, uptake will increase of these features. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the, you know, ultimately that's the channel's job and the vendor's job to, to instead of just giving you know the customer some features and benefits, actually give them the use case and the solution that actually consumes that feature. I think that's what we've all got to get better at, quite honestly. And in terms of the challenges for organisations moving increasing amounts of services to the cloud. I mean, you've, you've already mentioned the first step tends to be cloud email hosting service or you know, those basic applications. What, what are the other challenges for organizations and how can they overcome those? I know in part of your predictions you're talking about IP and how that can potentially help. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, th- I think the first thing to say is it's pretty cultural, isn't it? It's, um, I, I, you know, how many years have I been in this space now? A long time, 18, 19 years. And um, I, I still see the same the same challenge today as I saw all those years ago with, with, with my business, Seven Global, right, which was an enablement business of SaaS for ISVs. I still see that this, the issue is, is, a, is a challenge at the end user in terms of, of trusting this, right, in terms of believing that these, these services are as secure, if not more secure, I would hope, than the services that they run themselves internally inside their own data centers or computer rooms or, or cupboards. Yes, cupboards, I think, on the majority of the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, th- I think it, this, that's still the biggest challenge. You know, I think we've, we're at the top of a wave of that, right? But, but still the number of boards surfing that wave is, is still not as many as it should be because of the level of, uh, you know, the level of, um, what, what can I say, t- tin hugging, can I say that? Yeah. Not holding on to that, that tin in the corner. I think still happens. I think culturally at the end user that's got to change. And I think and then secondly in, in the channel, right? It's it, it, the the challenge I think has been in the channel is not not anything around the technology again in any sense. It's it's the vendors and the partners in that channel, that whole ecosystem that does the selling of, of of these products to be compensated in a manner that rewards them in this in the old fashioned way, you know, in a in a in a capex way rather than an opex way. And I think that's Ultimately, the challenge of, of the channel is to, still to this day, is to is to build the right level of compensations to create the right behaviour in the in the sales forces and the technical teams to to promote cloud uh, to those. Hopefully, now moving towards trusting customers, and I think that those those two things that are, for me are still a challenge. You know, nearly twenty years later, they're still the biggest challenge. 
I don't think we've got any technical challenges. I think I think as as every day goes on, you know, the emergence of DevOps is, is moved has kind of proved to us, as we all kind of knew we've been in the century a long time, that software can solve any problem, right? As long as you give it time and throw some money at it, you can kind of fix it. And what the cloud does is makes it more distributable, makes it more usable, makes it more repeatable. So, you know, that that's uh, you know all the benefits of the cloud. Are, are, are still the same as they were, right? But ultimately, it's not. I don't think it's a technology challenge that we have. I think it's a. Uh, I, I think it's a still a bit cultural up, up end user and in, in partner. One of the points you mentioned there was was security, and, and yeah. I think you're right. It's an education thing. It's trying to reassure an end user that, for example, a Microsoft cloud service is infinitely more secure than their yeah. server and router, like you said, that's in the cupboard under the stairs. At, Auntie yeah. Smith's plumbing company. So, how my question was going to be, you know, how can security be improved within the cloud? But it's not so much that; it's how can we reassure the industry that it's it's still a concern, but that it's a concern that's being taken on board. Yeah, I think I think again, it comes to that level of trust, don't we? I think we've got to get to a level of acceptance that Salesforce, Microsoft, AWS, NetSuite, ServiceNow would not categorically not build an unsecure solution. I think we've got to accept that as we accept that the sun comes up in the morning, quite frankly. We have to accept it. And, and that, the reason why I'm being a bit dictatorial about it is I've spent, as you can imagine, over the last 15, 20 years, a lot of time with CTOs, you know, enterprise businesses, as well as owner managers in, in small, mid-market corporate SMEs, quite frankly. And again, it's that cultural piece of, of kind of getting them to accept and understand that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, I, I, we, I'll roll back to my years at Microsoft. I'm pretty convinced that Microsoft, you know, we, we would have spent billions and did spend billions on, on security for our cloud services. And when I, when I walked into some of these offices, as you quite rightly said, with cupboards and staircases, etc., I, I know that can't be the case, right? And even in enterprise, right? I'm not saying enterprise wouldn't look at this in any way, shape or form, but I think there's got to be a level where, unless it's very specific or governance orientated, you know, in terms of governmental kind of rules, we'll call it. I think we've got to accept that these huge cloud providers, which they are now, these these hyperscalers, are inherently secure. I think we've got to accept it. I don't think we should not do our due diligence, but I think we've got to come to a point where we say we've got to accept that these guys do this job every day, and there's there's probably thousands of people looking at security inside inside these. Uh, inside these hyperscalers rather than maybe the one or two that you put looking at your router making sure your firewall was okay. And that's a really interesting point, but there does seem to be, well, from my perspective anyway, some sort of inherent mistrust of these large, they tend to be American companies, I don't know whether it's, you know, a geographical thing, yeah. of, of the security of their services. Yeah. I think we've all read the books, haven't we? You know, where the, where the, where the, where the multinational takes over the world, there's only three companies left. I think we've all read that book. Probably comes from that. Yeah, and there's um, some sort of fear there about that. Yeah, yeah the big brother thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think I think it's just it, it is inherently kept within us that we owning our own destiny is is what we need to do, right? But I think there's methods of owning your own destiny and controlling your service and your service levels and security in a in a in a you know holistic cloud, right? So I think you, I think spreading your bets is a good idea as an example. You know, good. yeah, definitely. Choose the same CRM providers as you choose as your email provider, as an example, that type of stuff. Spread your bets, put your bets across multi-cloud, put in systems that allow you to automate a multi-cloud environment for your 
customers, end users, or partners, you know, and, and share the risk across multiple cloud providers. Don't, don't put your eggs all in one basket. And then, you know, ultimately, I think everyone will be in better shape SLA-wise. If you think about an end user, an enterprise end user, and shoving everything in one or two data centers, still risky. Actually, shoving your workload across 20 different providers, putting your CRM in one and putting your email in another, putting your file share in another, and actually doing the real systems integration job of the of, of the of now of the 2018-17 onwards of integrating integrating those cloud services together, producing one you know joined up holistic desktop for want of a better word that, that provides that to your end users it's got to be more secure got to be less risk you've just got to concentrate on making sure your network's up and running right but we've got to do that anyway that's you know that's, yeah. that's been part of our lives for the last let's say 20 years right so we're, we're getting good at managing networks i think we're getting better at doing it software defined we're getting a better controlling those we're getting better at being them more efficient we're getting better at distributing them you know, I think you think that 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 ultimately is is where we need to concentrate. Is get make sure our networks are solid, and then and then ultimately outsource our workloads to the right workload provider in the cloud, and, and feel safe that having done your due diligence, you know, choosing the hyperscalers is probably a pretty safe bet. You know, back, back to the old IBM days years ago. Considering your background in the implementation of data center technology to to enable all these cloud services. How important are platforms as a service going to be going forward? Yeah, I think I think the, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll roll it back. I actually think SaaS platforms are PaaS platforms. I think inherently most of them were built as a PaaS platform by default, and then chose to define an application to turn them into SaaS. Just just like that, I'll refer back to the old days, kind of the new days as, as now as. That our friend Larry has decided that Oracle is a cloud company, having told us for a number of years it wasn't. It wasn't, yeah. Um, if you look at, you know, look, look at, take that that history of, you know, of, of, of Oracle. They had a great database technology, but actually to get the scale on selling the database, it, you had to create an app, really, right, to get to make sure that the the EBS used used the database and the database, and they both drove each other, right? It's the same situation, I think, is that. Um, we've got that now in reverse, where where the guys have created, I would say, PaaS platforms more or less by default. Uh, Salesforce, you know, by default had Force.com many years ago, right? Which is ultimately developing apps on top of Salesforce. Uh, you, you've got it now with, you know, if you look at products like ServiceNow, inherently built, I I believe, quite frankly, technically as a PaaS platform that chose to create an Intel-based uh, service desk to basically sell the platform, right? So I think you see that in the inherent hyperscalers that have, that have built SaaS applications. That actually, if you look under the hood of them, they're actually pretty, pretty strong, pretty powerful PaaS applications. And I think that's where that's where PaaS is going. I think you, you will start to de- develop your own IP, right, your cloud IP around workflows that you create, programs, widgets, whatever you want to call them, in inside your SaaS application that actually starts to do different things and routines that 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 SaaS application was actually ever designed to do when you bought it so I'm pretty sure you'll be using things on service now that are not necessarily all about service desk in the future I'm pretty sure you'll be using Salesforce on things processes that you automate that not don't necessarily all relate to sales taking workflows and automating them in a different manner so I I think the SaaS providers will become the past providers but I'm I'm pretty sure of that because I'm pretty sure they're built on past heritage that makes any sense just like oracle with their database and with erp same, same script I think. 
And it tends to be generally within the industry and, and within technology that things we saw once as sporadic platforms do tend to merge and agglomerate together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be the trick, isn't it? The, the sort of, you know, the, the trick of this for the future, the, the win of this in the future is is being able to, well, first thing is accept, that's, accept this is the norm, is what I would say, and then secondly, work out a way for your business or, your, or you as a partner to integrate these multiple cloud services together to produce a, a one one screen view for that customer that, that allows them to do what they do as business, but ut- utilizing multiple backend cloud systems that are completely disparate in terms of their location and where they are and how they run and what platforms they run on. I think we've got to get away from the fact that we used to think about what database something runs on. I don't think we care that NetSuite runs on Oracle, do we? Quite frankly, I think we just run NetSuite. No, and what practical difference does it make? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we care that Salesforce has got Oracle powered underneath it. I don't think we care. We just do it, right? So I think um, I think that's the key to it for the channel and for the end user is to to have a proper joined up experience of utilizing multiple clouds for multiple workloads and, and integrating them together. Again, you know, not, this is not dissimilar to what we used to do back in the day, right? Where we'd take a desktop and we'd, we'd, we'd try and create a user experience by blending them all together on one desktop. This isn't, this isn't dissimilar. We're just going to do it at a different level, at an API level, right? We're going to do it at a level that allows our APIs to talk to different multiple cloud services and present one, one screen to that customer that does one job for them and, and does that well across you know, secure, multi-threaded backends. Yeah, that, that's a good analogy, actually, in terms of providing a user a single interface. Effectively, the user, the company becomes the user, and this, the yeah. multiple sporadic different systems have to be presented as if they were all, you know, based under the stairs. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I can pretty much guarantee if you did, if you did that, you would inherently come into the point of, of, of a question, I guess, or earlier question, inherently you'd be more secure, right? Because you've, you've de-risked yourself. You've spread that, that workload across multiple platforms that are inherently secure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, Carl, I realise I've taken up enough of your time, so thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Right. Well, that was my chat with Carl Rowe. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Out Loud, and don't forget to visit our website at uctoday.com, and if you have any questions or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at UC Today News. Thanks for listening. <laughs>